Welcome to the After Chat. I'm Michael. I'm Ellis. And today we are going to be talking all about miracles. Yeah. You ready, bro? I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome to the After Chat. Real questions. Real talk. Real life. All right, bro. Which emoji do you identify with the most? This is a good one. Uh, I'm thinking about the ones I use the most. And you know the one where the eyes are kind of slanty and it has like the, like yeah. that that one. Yes. That's the one. Yeah. Now, <laughs> mine, mine is definitely the one like this. Mm, that's mm. a good one. Like I, I don't always send it because I think it's condescending. Mm-hmm. Like to, to, you don't know how people are going to receive that. Right. Like either... I don't, it just can go sideways real quick, but, um, but I definitely do that the most (laughs) whenever (laughs) I get a text message, I'm always like, Hmm, even if I don't send that back. So definitely the thinking face emoji. What is your favorite? I hadn't seen this one yet. (laughs) What is your favorite unconventional use for a common household item? Okay. Did you know that a fly swatter is also a great cat toy? I've not seen that used our, in that way. Our cats are obsessed with the fly swatter. Okay. Because we got like a basket of cat toys at yes. this point, and they like the fly swatter better than most of them. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. I honestly, I can't think of one off the top. <laughs> um, I do use like the little steel wool soap pads. Mm-hmm. I use those to clean shoes sometimes. That's like, pretty you cool. Ha- you have to be gentle with it. It also depends on... I, I like... I like to clean sneakers. Like, I think I was, like, if, if we had a past life, I was probably, like, a cobbler or, like, a shoe person. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that would probably be one. I don't think a lot of people use those. To, but I started doing that when I was in the military, like, to clean boots. Yeah. Like, it, ro- it worked really well on those. What do you know? Um, so, yeah, steel huh. wool soap pad. Gently, depending upon what the shoe material is Gently. made out of. But, yeah, def- that'd probably be the one I got off the top. The more you know. Yeah. How do your cats feel about Q-tips? I don't know. How do your cats feel about <laughs> <laughs> I love them. Okay. <laughs> so, so there we go. Cat toys, uh, cats like Q-tips. Who knew? Not me. <laughs> All right. Have you ever asked God for a miracle? We're going to be talking about miracles. Yeah. Have you ever asked God for one? I'm not sure this qualifies. We're going to get to the definition of miracle here in a minute, but... Yeah. Uh, when my wife and I were getting close to getting married, we were looking for somewhere to live. Mm-hmm. I was living in an apartment at the time. And so we thought, well, we have the option of the apartment to fall back on, mm-hmm. but we didn't want to live there. It was also super expensive. And so mm-hmm. we were like, like, ideally, we'd be able to buy a house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the time, the market was terrible. Everything was way out of our price range. Like, we were like, this this is just not going to happen. Virginia real estate's out of control. It is. Like, indeed. it's super expensive. Yeah, I said at the time. I mean, it's still true now, honestly. Yeah. So, I overheard a conversation at church one Sunday about somebody who was selling their house, somebody that we knew, and kind of half-jokingly, I was like, hey, I'd be interested to hear about that. And I kid you not, a month to the day, from a month later, we were closing on the house. There you go. With like two Boom. months to go for our wedding. It was it was crazy. I think that qualifies. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Most deaf. Yeah. 
I mean, I've asked God I'm, to lots of things that at the time would seem miraculous, either for provisions or direction or, or something like that. And I think any time that you go to God and you, it just opens your eyes to the possibilities of, of things that he can do, even if you don't see a path forward. And I think all of those, um, and it, I mean, the next question is like, do miracles still happen today? And I would say most wholeheartedly, yes. Yeah. Anytime that you go to God and ask for something, because usually you're doing that as a last resort because you don't see any other way. Right. And it opens up your eyes to the, to where he can and will work. Yeah. So back to you, like, do you think miracles can still happen today? Yeah. Um, not to get too far into it because, you know, we got a whole episode to go, yeah. but I, I think I, yes is my short answer. I think they might not happen in the way we expect them to. But mm-hmm. in a way, that makes sense to me because the miracles we're going to talk about in the Bible, the people who were seeing those, who were witnessing them, didn't expect them to happen that way either. Yes. So I think we often get attached to, well, it has to look like this or it's yes. not a miracle. And I think that's part of it inherently. It's something we couldn't possibly comprehend yes. or have a picture for ahead of time. You know? So that opens it up. Yeah. Hit us with the, uh, Ellis is our, de- our definition dictionary guy. <laughs> Hit us with the definition of miracle. Yeah. So if you type in miracle on dictionary.com, a couple of definitions come up. Uh, the first one is an effect or extraordinary event in the physical world that mm. surpasses all known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a supernatural cause. So that's one. The second one is such an effect or event manifesting or considered as a work of God. Yes. So there you go. All right. So we're going to look, the way that we're going to kind of structure this episode, we're going to do some rapid fire, just short list of some miracles that that have, that uh, we're going to break up Old and New Testament, short list of miracles that we've seen happen in the Old Testament. And then we're going to do kind of like a mini deep dive into two of them. Yeah. And then we'll do the same for the New Testament after that. Right. So hit us with some miracles from the Old Testament. There's a bunch. Um, <laughs> this is going to be a very short list of very many. Yes. Uh, there's creation. Obviously, there's the flood, there's the Tower of Babel, there's Sodom and Gomorrah, there's the burning bush, there's Moses' rod changing into a serpent, there's Aaron's rod turning into a serpent, there's a river turning to blood and all the plagues. <laughs> How far do you want to go with this? Yeah, like, we can and, be here and, all day. And, and I, think to, I think it's interesting. I think we just need to stop and acknowledge <laughs> a miracle isn't always like a warm and fuzzy thing. That's true. Like a yeah. miracle can be absolutely terrifying depending upon... Well, like Obi-Wan, depending upon one's point of view. Mm, From a certain point of view. Yes, Ah. it can be terrifying. Like, I mean, just looking at the plagues, like from the the Israelites' point of view, like those were like super awesome. If you're a run-of-the-mill Egyptian, like that was probably absolutely terrifying when frogs and boils and all the things started coming at you. You're like, what? What is happening? <laughs> what is happening? Still a miracle. Yeah. Just yeah, for sure. Not a pleasant one. Right. Depending upon one's point of view. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna lie. As I was saying, Sodom and Gomorrah, I was like, hmm, raining you know? sulfur. Mm. <laughs> a miracle. <laughs> Just a very scary form. There you go. I mean, it's in the definition. There's it, no, you know, a supernatural cause. Yeah. <laughs> So. so there we go. <laughs> All right. So let's look at at one of those uh, one of the things from the Old Testament. Yeah. So a really famous one from the Old Testament is the parting of the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. It takes place in the book of Exodus in in chapter fourteen of Exodus. But a little backstory before we get there: the Israelites have been slaves in Egypt. Yes. They've been in captivity like four hundred years. Yes. For a, for or a long time. One of those two. I think I think 
400 is correct. Uh, there we go. Yeah. Kind of the central figure in the story is Moses. And he was born as an Israelite, but when he was a little boy, the pharaoh at the time, the king of Egypt, wanted to kill all the Hebrew boys. He was afraid of like a Hebrew uprising and if yes. they went to war, them being outnumbered. And so his solution to this was we're going to kill all the young boys because just a whole that's, generation. That's the influx of the army. And so we're going to cut it off at the source basically. Mm-hmm. So because of this impending threat, Moses's mother puts him in a basket and sends him down the river. She wants to spare him from this, this fate. And so thinking she's doing the best thing for her child sends him to where he's going to be safe. So he floats down the river in the basket, and then he's found by the not, pharaoh's daughter. Not super far. Egypt. Not super far, yeah. <laughs> he's found by the pharaoh's daughter and basically raised as an Egyptian. So fast forward, Moses grows up. He uh, witnesses, like kind of stumbles upon an Egyptian fighting with a Hebrew mm-hmm. and is kind of outraged by this treatment of one of his people and murders the Egyptian and has to flee because of it. Yes. Because word's going to get back to Pharaoh and it's not going to be good for him. Moses kind of goes off, establishes his life away from all of that until God calls him through a burning bush, one Mm -hmm. of the ones I mentioned earlier, to lead Israel out of captivity in Egypt. And that's when we get to the 10 plagues. Um, Mm -hmm. God enacts the 10 plagues as uh, a way to try to convince the Pharaoh to let everybody go. And uh, Moses is kind of doing the talking, but... Uh, God is the one who is... Giving them all the words, everything else. Yes, yes, very much so. Finally, Pharaoh lets the Israelites go and then changes his mind. Like, <laughs> and, psych! Yep. Actually, so, you know, I don't... I think that was a bad idea. Let's go after them. And so that's where we're going to pick up. Uh, this is Exodus 14, um, starting in verse 15. I'm just going to read a few verses here. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Mm -hmm. Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army this is when this is after the Israelites have left Egypt. That's They're, also yeah. a that's also a miracle in and of yeah. itself because mm-hmm. they were led by a by a pillar of fire in yeah. the daytime mm-hmm. or uh, at nighttime, and then like during the day there was a pillar of smoke like behind them, right? right? And so I mean that in and of itself, yeah, very much a miracle, right? Um, so got miracles on miracles. Oh yeah, it's like it's so meta. It's like <laughs> Inception of miracles. Crazy. Russian right. nesting doll of miracles. <laughs> there <you> go. <laughs> so this is in verse nineteen. Then the angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in the front yeah. and stood behind them because the Egyptians are pursuing them from behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so neither went. Uh, neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea with strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And there you go. There you go. I just imagine what that would have been like. So you're walking through it. Like, do you see fish on either side? That's kind of how I imagine it. They So they <laughs> low-keyed they ripped this off in a Pirates of the Caribbean movie, one of the more recent ones. Okay. Uh, and there were that's basically what it was like. There, you could see through the sea on mm. either side, 
and you could see all the fish and all the coral and all the sea life and all that stuff. So, I kind of think that's what it would have been like. Yeah. So then the Israelites get through. The Pharaoh and his uh, chariots and his horsemen, mm-hmm. they go in after. Whoosh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I think um, it's pretty cool that we we can acknowledge Moses's fear and humanity yes. in this. Uh, right at the beginning there, the, the God says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? I, I picture them kind of arriving to the edge of this water. They have the Egyptian army coming behind them, <laughs> and Moses is like, what do Yikes. I do now, God? Like, yeah. What the heck? So yeah. no, I imagine I imagine that too. But I I love like to me it's still like God coming out. You already know what to do. Mm-hmm. Like stretch out your hand. Yeah. And like I'll do the rest. But I mean I imagine whenever he got there that was pretty. Where do I go? Right. So the next one that we're going to look at is also has a whoosh moment uh, of sorts. <laughs> so this is Korah's rebellion, and you can read about this um, in Numbers 16. So who is Korah? Because we don't really get a whole lot about him. Mm-hmm. He is mentioned in Exodus 6 uh, as one of the like the chief folks uh, in the like the Hebrew like government type deal or or like of the tribes. He was an influential figure during the Exodus and all that. Uh, one of the first Levites appointed for tabernacle duties that was the precursor to the temple. Uh, so it was just a very elaborate tent. And you can read all about that in, in Leviticus. I think it's in there where they get the rundown for how to build it. It's just you get just chapters of nothing but like how to build this thing. So he's going to be one of the first priests uh, in that system. Kind of a traveling temple. Yes. Right? Yeah, okay. They would take yeah. it down, go with them, and, and all of that. <laughs> He seems to be kind of become jealous of Moses's authority, and he basically leveled three beefs hmm. with with a couple of his pals. Like he's got three pals, they all go up to Moses, and they basically have three beefs. Well, well, you're no better than anyone else. I think Moses would agree. Like I think he would have agreed. <laughs> um, everyone in Israel has been chosen by the Lord. Again, everyone would have agreed. And Moses would have agreed. Aaron would have agreed. And we don't need to obey you. Implicit right. in that is they should probably be obey, obeying me. Mm. Like, if, whenever you get into it and you read it. Like, that's kind of the way that, that it reads. Okay. So, like I said, Moses probably agreed with the first two. little twisted to say that they should probably obey him and not the ones that got appointed. And so, we basically get, like, a showdown of sorts. Like, I'm very much summarizing this. Mm-hmm. Moses, very upset, very, very, very irate. Um, he basically says, you go get your crew and your incense burners and... <laughs> <laughs> and I'll get my crew and my incense burners, and we'll let God sort it out. That's kind of where it goes. It's a, only a showdown like this could happen in the Bible. So that's where we're going to pick up. I liked the message version of this, mm-hmm. and so that's what we're going to be looking at uh, for this. So kicking off Numbers 16, uh, verse 16. So it's a little bit of Scripture, but but stick with sure. So Moses said to Korah, bring your people before God tomorrow. Appear there with them and Aaron and have each man bring his censer filled with incense and present it to God. All 250, because that's how many folks Korah had wrangled to his side. And you and Aaron do the same, bring your censers. So they all did it. They brought their censers filled with fire and incense and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting, which is another one of the official tents that they had to build. And Moses and Aaron did the same. Now, it was Korah and his gang against Moses and Aaron at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the entire community could see the glory of God. 
Now, the glory of God, we, we kind of talked about that some in the Ezekiel chapter. It's kind of presented different ways. Like you might see like uh, some smoke or fire or the only place where the weird things with the with the throne, that's only in Ezekiel. But whenever you hear like the glory of God was there, it's usually some sort of smoke or fire or some combination thereof. Yeah. So now they're all there. Um, the community, even the glory of God is there. The community, the glory of God, all the things. So God said to Moses and Aaron, Separate yourselves from this congregation so that I can finish them off and be done with them. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so they threw themselves on their faces and said, Oh God, God of everything living, when one man sins, are you going to take it out on the whole community? God spoke to Moses. Speak to the community. Tell them, back off from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. All right. So Moses got up, went to Dathan and Abram. The leaders of Israel followed him. He then spoke to the community, Back off from the tents of these bad men. Do not touch a thing that belongs uh, to them, lest you be carried off on the flood of their sins. Here we go. Oh, my gosh. So here we go. So they, <laughs> they all backed away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. Dathan and Abram by now had come out and were standing at the entrance of their tents with their wives, children, and babies. Moses continued to address the community. This is how you'll know. That it was God who sent me to do all these things and that it wasn't anything I cooked up on my own. I love <laughs> Sometimes the message really gets to it. And if these men die a natural death like all the rest of us, you'll know that it wasn't God who sent me. But if God does something unprecedented, if the ground opens up and swallows the lot of them and they are pitched alive into Sheol, which just means the underworld, then you'll know that these men have been insolent with God. So... The words were hardly out of his mouth when the earth split open. <laughs> earth opened its mouth and in one gulp swallowed them down, the men and their families, all the human beings connected with Korah, along with everything they owned, and that was the end of them, pitched alive into Shoal. The earth closed up over them, and that was the last the community heard of them. At the sound of their cries, everyone ran for dear life, shouting, We're about to be swallowed up alive. Then God sent lightning. The fire cremated the 250 men who were offering their incense. Remember, that was the showdown. Like, everybody get your incense. God spoke to Moses, tell Eliezer of Aaron the priest, gather up the censers and the smoldering cinders and scatter the coals a distance away. And then they basically collected all their gold censers and then put made them into place and put them around like an altar. So, that is a miracle. Like a scary, terrifying one. But, I mean, it all depends on your point of view. For Moses and Aaron and the folks that were loyal to them, like, that was pretty cool. Or probably not cool, but that that was an awesome event. For Korah and the people that were kind of loyal to him, still not so much. And so that's... That's one. Like, this this chapter does have a nesting doll here. Mm -hmm. So the next day... Grumbling broke out. Now we're going to continue in 40. I skipped ahead a little bit. Grumbling broke out the next day in the community of Israel, grumbling against Moses and Aaron. You killed God's people. But it so happened that when the community got together against Moses and Aaron, they looked over at the tent of meeting and there was the cloud, the glory of God for all to see. That cloud must have been something. So Moses and Aaron stood in front of the tent of meeting. God spoke to Moses, back away from this congregation so that I can do away with them this very minute. And they threw themselves on the ground. Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and fill it with incense along with fire from the altar. Get to the congregation as fast as you can. Make atonement for them. Anger is about, anger is pouring out from God. The plague has started. So here we got them still interceding on behalf of them. Just like, I mean, Moses and Aaron did it before too. Like said, hey, you're going to punish everybody for them. And so like God just 
got the ones that he wanted. And so Aaron grabbed the censer as directed by Moses, ran into the midst of the congregation. The plague had already begun. He put burning incense into the censer, atoned for the people. He stood there between the living and the dead and stopped the plague. But 14,700 people died from the plague, not counting those who died in the affair of Korah. And Aaron then went back to join Moses at the entrance to the tent of the meeting, and the plague had stopped. I'll tell you what. I have thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, I I just love... I know people have all kinds of thoughts about Old Testament God versus New Testament God. Yeah. Old Testament God... (laughs) did not play around with his words. Okay. No. Back away from this congregation so I can do away with them this very minute. Yes. Old Testament God stays having mic drop moments yes. like that. Again, if we're just looking at a miracle, like it, it's something that can't be explained. It only has a supernatural cause. Like the ground opening up and doing that is a supernatural cause. Yeah. And it really shows that how God's going to glorify himself and his will will be done one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Like we've talked about how I think in another episode, how even people that don't necessarily follow God can be used to carry out his will. And here, but when God's will is going to be done, it's going to be done. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's the one thing you can take away from some of these uh, stories. And also, you know, your, I mean, if we're just looking at Korah and his pals there, your, your sin and your, your ego getting like, maybe not being fluffed up enough can have consequences on not just you, but those around you as well. So, I mean, there's some, there's some applicability or there's some application stuff that can be had there as well. So spend some time in number 16 um, and read that, reflect on some of the things, imagine yourself in the different people's positions and just try to see yourself there. Cause I mean, it does humanize them. Like Cora probably thought, you know, I could do just as good a job as Moses, Mm -hmm. but what are you going to do? I, I love how Moses how Moses says, but if God does something unprecedented, like oh I don't know if the ground opens up and swallows a lot of them and, and then, then boom whoa. happens immediately. Oh my gosh, Ooh. It's something. Gotta love it. If you don't think the Bible is funny? I mean, come on, objectively, that's hilarious. Yeah. So yeah. All right. So those are just a couple of Old Testament ones. In the New Testament, um, you have Jesus walking on water yep. as one. I mean, his birth is another one uh two blind men cured in jericho that's in luke that's another one um even the outpouring of the holy spirit when in acts whenever Mm -hmm. you know it whooshes in and they're all speaking all the other all the languages and they're able to like spread the gospel message to everybody there those are some and if we want to look at one that is also a terrifying miracle (laughs) like the death of ananias and sapphira in acts 5 like that's a you know you didn't bring what you were supposed to. Bam. Mm-hmm. Like, check that one out. Yes. Like, a miracle can mean lots of different things. Right. Yeah. Well, the one I'm going to dive a little deeper into in the New Testament is uh, uh, healing that Jesus does. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is in John chapter 5. And I'm just going to read this one because it's 15 verses to cover the whole thing. So I'm just going to okay. read it. So uh, hang with us as we read through this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which mm. in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great people, a great number of disabled people used, used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Mm. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? 
Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool where the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, every, uh, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders mm. said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped, had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. <laughs> the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. That story is incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, this guy wasn't there for a week or a month. 38 years he had yes. been like this. 38 years. And I'm, I'm you know... I think when we read stories like this, we try to put ourselves in the shoes and really understand like the humanity of it for, for who knows how many of those 38 years, this guy is at this pool trying to get in, trying to get in and watching people go ahead of him. And he's stuck in the situation he's been Mm -hmm. in. And Jesus comes along one day, probably, you know, as Jesus tends to do on his way to do something else. It just happens to, to stop and completely change this guy's situation. Mm. That's amazing. And there's a flip side to that too. Like, he'd been there. Like, this guy seemed like a fixture at the pool. Yeah. Like, the fact that they knew him, like, the people that saw him knew him. Like, that was probably, I don't think it specifically says in in the scripture there, but it was probably one of the Pharisees Mm -hmm. that saw him because they're the ones that had, like, all the extra rules. Like, it was like, well, what does it mean by work? Carrying your mat's work. Like, Mm -hmm. come on. You just saw this dude that you knew had been laying there for years and years or however long. Right. You're not impressed that he's up and cruising and walking. Mm-hmm. You're more upset that he's carrying a mat. Like, <laughs> yeah. so it also shows your eyes can be closed to the miracles that are happening around that are happening around you if you're not if you're not open to it and you're not and your heart is so hard that you can't see the things happening in front of you because mm-hmm. you're focused elsewhere. Yeah. Instead of seeing the man walking, you're focused on his mat. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. your priorities can get a little shifted and out of whack. For sure. Yeah, I, I think Jesus's question to him is interesting as well. Do you want to get well? And the guy's answer is kind of like, not yes. <laughs> it's yeah. like, this is my situation, basically. Yeah. And Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Like, don't like, I think there's something for us to learn there. Don't get so stuck in your situation and so blinded by it that you miss what God's trying to do in your life. And state plainly what you want. Yeah. Like, that's a yes or no. Mm-hmm. Do you want to get better? Yes. Anything other than that, you're missing the point. Right. Like, I'm offering you an opportunity here. Mm-hmm. Are you going to take it or not? Right. And Jesus had to basically just say, take it. Yeah. You well, know? and I think right there, like, the guy didn't say yes. Yeah. And Jesus did it anyway. Yes. So, there you go. And the other one that I've got here is also a healing, but it, it's a little bit it's a little bit different. So, in Matthew 8... Jesus heals a a centurion's uh, servant. So it's 5 to 13. Mm -hmm. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes, and that one come and he comes. 
I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Hmm. There's a lot packed into those few verses. One, like this was a Roman. This was a Gentile. Like the Israelites did not talk to them like at all. Yeah. Like they, they didn't. They, they were the occupying force. They were the occupying military force at the time. Um, Jesus even talking to this guy was was scandalous. And the Jewish people just were not fans of the Roman military folks. So seeing him seeking out Jesus would, wouldn't have been a normal thing to do. Right. But he had heard about this guy. Like yeah. he, he had heard of Jesus before. And he based on what he had heard, he believed. Like, I mean, that's the whole thing with the gospel. Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, you hear it, you confess it with your mouth, you believe in your heart. Like this guy confessed it with his mouth, like called him Lord, mm-hmm. like right out of the gate, believed in his heart that Jesus could do it. And not just like, he didn't even have to be there. Like that he was, I mean, we see a depiction here of like omnipresence is what it's called. Like yeah. God being everywhere at once. Like Jesus could just say, boom, and it could happen regardless of where he was, which is super like that's a, another powerful thing about this story. The other one, the other part of this story that I think is interesting, and it kind of it links to something in in the book of Isaiah in sixty six. How just I'll just read that and then we yeah. can go into it. So this is Isaiah uh, speaking here. Isaiah sixty six nineteen. I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of those who survived of the nations to Tarshish to. Uh, to the Libyans and Lydians who were famous as archers, to Tubal and Greece, and to the distant, land, the distant lands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations, and they will bring all your people from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem in an offering to the Lord. On horses and chariots and wagons, on mules and camels, says the Lord, they will bring them as the Israelites bring their grain offerings to the temple of the Lord and ceremonial clean vessels, and I will select some of them to be my priests and Levites. So this is... He's saying there's going to come a time where I'm going to send a sign among the world and it's going to be open for everyone. When Jesus says like to the east and the west there, that's what he's talking about. Like mm-hmm. I'm go- there's going to be people that y'all aren't even expecting to be a part of the final deal at the end. And I'm going to bring them in, not just the Israelites, not just the chosen, like the chosen people, but it's going to be th- the gate's going to be thrown wide open and accept everybody here. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is hinting at that. Yeah. And, but that was a something that had already been prophesied uh, by God through Isaiah all the way back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's such a cool, because that was a concept that that's why they didn't want to talk to the Samaritans. That was part of the reasons why Peter didn't like Paul's uh, evangelizing or taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Like you can read about that in Acts. But Jesus is saying there, I'm going to throw it wide open. Yeah. Yeah. You can really see how that story is representative of that. Yes. I think it's interesting too. You mentioned that the the Israelites didn't really want to associate with the Romans. Yeah. Well, and vice versa, too. No, and yeah, so, that went both ways. Yeah, so like, I'm sure, you know, this guy, he was a Roman officer. I'm sure he was surrounded by people essentially talking smack about Jesus yep. 24-7. Yep. And still, whatever he had heard. He took it in and believed yeah, it, that it, if anybody could do it, yeah, Jesus could. Yeah, it planted the seed of curiosity, and that's all he needed. Yep. You know? And and he, he went there himself. Mm-hmm. 
Like that's that's just the fact that he did that. Like he knew it was going to be weird. <laughs> like he knew it was going to be awkward, and he was probably going to have some jeers and and things <laughs> thrown his way. Uh, but but he he had every reason in the world not to go, mm-hmm. but he did, and because of that, he got to be on like the first, uh, like a have a front row seat to a legit miracle. Mm-hmm. So I just think that's such a cool story. Yeah, that one is really cool. All right, so. You're going to do a quick setup for where we're going. Yes. Uh, we're getting ready to go into a clip, but first we have to talk about kind of the story mm-hmm. that's being referenced there. It's a story out of the book of Daniel. And uh, these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego mm-hmm. um, they have been tossed, in, they're about to be tossed into a furnace by the king, Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, Nebi. Nebi, as our friend Madison uh, <laughs> refers to him as. Such a um, fickle man. Because yeah. in the chapter before, like he was giving them all sorts of power and authority, <laughs> like in the Babylonian kingdom. And then like at the drop of a dime, furnace for you. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's yeah. a fickle man. So that's the setup to this really famous story out of the book of Daniel. And we're going to kind of hear a clip about that and talk about that on the other side of it. So check this out. out. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Did you catch it? Do you see it? Let's look at it again. The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Right here, right here is what I need all of us to see. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do what most faithful followers of God do in the first half of their response. They acknowledge that God can do anything. They say the God whom we serve is able to save us. That's the effortless part for them. You see, they grew up hearing the stories of Moses, Joshua, David, and others every single day. They've all but memorized the tales of how God parted the Red Sea or how he tore down Jericho's walls without a single sword being drawn. These legendary narratives are a part of who they are. So trusting that God can do anything, we can assume wasn't that difficult for them. Maybe you're the same way. Maybe you grew up on these same stories and trusting that God can do anything isn't the hard part. However, these three men continue with their response and express a tremendous amount of truth about our faith in God and how it should look far beyond the four words they use to say it. Even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like those were guys that needed a miracle. Yeah. But, they're, but they weren't going to budge on their faith or who they, what they believed about God or who they believed that he was depending upon whether or not the miracle came. You know, they just said, we're not going to worship you. Our God is powerful enough. He can do the thing. But even if he doesn't, where we know, even if not, maybe not on this side, but on the other side, we will be fine. Mm-hmm. Like, that's powerful. Yeah. I think something we, we often overlook from the Bible is that these guys would have known some of the things that God has done, had, mm-hmm. had done before 
this moment. So yeah. they would like probably the, both the Old Testament miracles we covered before. They probably they would have known, known. About those. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're expecting, or at least they know that God is able to do something yes. like that. And so for them to know and probably hope <laughs> that that mm-hmm. that that's what was coming, but to say be able to say even if that doesn't happen. I mean, and these are people that I mean. They were exiles. Yeah. Like they, I imagine during the whole siege of Jerusalem and all the things that had happened, like they were, they had probably prayed more than once for God to prevent all of the things that, that were happening. Yeah. And he didn't Mm -hmm. in those instances. So these are people that, that probably had a realistic view of things and said, you know, listen, we, we prayed for Jerusalem not to fall. We prayed to not be here Mm -hmm. yet. Here we are. But they were still able to say, "Listen, all of that aside, like all of the times where God didn't answer our miracle, didn't answer our call for a miracle, we're going to ask for one here. But even if He doesn't, like our faith's not going to waver. Yeah. Like that's a powerful example of circumstances. Your faith informing your circumstances, and not your circumstances informing your faith. Right? Yeah, I think we've talked about this before uh, a few times, but it that kind of faith makes makes it less about the outcome." Yes. And more about the nature of God and his character yes. and who he is. So. so does this redefine like how we think about miracles? I, I for me, it's just about opening your eyes and seeing where they are where they might be happening around you. Kind of like whenever we talked about like the Pharisees seeing the man literally get up and walk, like a paraplegic fella literally get up, carry his pick up his mat and walk away. They don't see the miracle. They mm-hmm. see the other thing. So what can we do like to keep our eyes open for the po- to see the possible miracles around us? This is kind of where I went at the top, but mm-hmm. I wanted to like save the full unpacking yes. until later. I think it's just knowing, holding on to the knowledge that God is capable of something that we can't comprehend or yes. wrap our brains around. The, the miracle, all the miracles we talked about before, the people who were affected by them, they had no way of knowing that that's what it would have looked like. Mm-hmm. So how can we expect to know what our miracles are going to look like? We can't, and they're not going to look like the ones that came before. Yes. So, and I think, I think a lot of it is just that, like keeping our keeping our eyes open, know that God can work, and be expecting Him to work, mm-hmm. and just keeping. I, I mean, they're like keeping your heart soft, soft enough. Mm-hmm. Like there's the you know the what type of soil is your heart? Like if it's a hard stony heart, like you're not going to see the things. And this just kind of came to me, uh, just another example of like a miracle happening and people missing it. Like when Jesus was baptized, like a dove came down, landed on him. And, and there was a voice that was, that was heard saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Some people heard it as thunder. Like they didn't, they, you know, it's recorded as that. And so there was a discrepancy there. Some people was like, I heard the voice of God. It said this, no, that was just thunder. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it really depends on, are you looking for God? Are you constantly seeking God? Are you looking to see where he might be at work around you? So that way, when you do see it, like you don't miss it. Yeah. You know, what do you think is a practical way that people can make space in their lives to, to look for what God is doing? I think I think kind of going back to the story that that you told that you told mm. when Jesus said, "Do you want it?" Mm. Yeah. Do yeah. you want it? Pray for it. Yeah. Like ask God. Like say, God, open my eyes to what you're doing around me. Mm-hmm. Like keep my heart and my mind open and soft enough so that way, whenever you are working, I don't miss it because I want to see what you're doing. 
I really think it just begins with just like the the, the guy from the story that you told. Like, mm-hmm. ask for it. Yeah. Like, I think that's that at least starts getting you shifted into a place to where when it does happen, you got a front row seat for it. Yeah. I think it's just being intentional about creating the space mm-hmm. uh, every day. And, you know, I think oftentimes that's, for me, that space looks like silence. Yeah. Um, it's, we were having a discussion before we, <laughs> before we hit record today <laughs> about just how, how much stuff is, is always going on in front of us, yeah. particularly with screens and like multiple screens at a time, a lot of the time now. And so I think shutting out all that stuff, yes. even if it's for five minutes to just sit in silence and yeah. listen for God's voice or to pray or to read, whatever it looks like for you, just mm-hmm. being intentional about creating the space, I uh, think is necessary. The more that you grow in your relationship to God, the more that you'll see him at work around you. Yeah. And and I think really that just begins with asking for it, creating the space to where you go. And I mean, that's the whole point of spiritual disciplines, like mm-hmm. like what you're talking about is to put yourself in a position to be grown by God. But that all begins with you asking. Yeah. And so often we don't ask. We just and expect. We just expect. Yeah. But we don't actually go to God and say, you know, God, I'm here. I'm going to put myself, I'm going to read your word today. And I'm putting myself in a position to hear from you and to be grown by you. So illuminate whatever it is you want me to see. Yeah. Or if you're praying, you know, like, God, I know that you were there. Like, I want to connect with you right now yeah. or or whatever it may be. But you need to ask for it. But you have to be intentional about, like you said, making that space and putting yourself in a in a, in a mindset and, and a heart set to be grown by him. Yeah, I think uh, to take it a step further, I think we expect we just expect without asking and yes. we get mad. <laughs> it doesn't or happen, you know, that and we don't actually do the work <laughs> that too. Yes. Like, no. I mean, oh, I went to church on Sunday. Yeah. I'm not going to do literally anything else this week. I'm where's, not going to. Where's my miracle? I'm not going to talk to you. I'm waiting. Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do any of the things. Like, serve the least of these. Like, I mean, Jesus gave a whole list of least of these for you to go and serve, and we'll put the scripture right there for it. Mm-hmm. But we don't do any of the things, and then we just expect. Yeah. But we don't actually take that time to like. It's a relationship. Like, mm-hmm. it's not a one way street. Right. Like you. You need. It's a back and forth. Like yeah. God wants to know you, but you have to actually put yourself in a position to get to know Him. Be honest with yourself, and and put yourself in a place to be grown. And that's. If you don't do any of that, you're not going to have your heart and your mind soft enough to actually hear from Him. Right. Or see what He's doing around you. Yeah. Well said. Well, there we go. <laughs> there <you> go. <laughs> All right. So, anything? Any final words from you on this? I don't. Th- I don't think so. I think mm. it's just being open to be be open to what God might be trying to do in your life, and and whatever conditions you need to create that are personal for you yes. to uh, have the space and kind of the the wherewithal to mm-hmm. to be observant of your surroundings. That's that's important to be able to see things happening like this. So absolutely, yeah. This was a good. This was a good conversation. Yeah, this was cool. So uh, leave us a review. Yep. We'll get you a mug. Find us in the Facebook group, and um, also we'll be back here next week for another episode of the After Chat. Thanks for joining us for the After Chat. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with others. Post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. To be the first to hear our next episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and get notifications for new content. You can also follow us on social media on Instagram at PCCWired and 
Facebook at Passion Community Church. For additional resources and links, check out the description. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on The After Chat.